Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. So in today's episode, I want to, you know, cover some topics about hemiarthroplasties for fractures. This this information or these tips also holds true for certain hip fractures if you're going to do a total hip replacement uh, or even in some patients where you may be doing a total hip replacement for arthritis, but they also may have some of these underlying conditions. Um, and if you haven't, um, listened, go back in season two, and I'll put a link in the show notes to those episodes where I talk about all the details of the posterior approach. Uh, And again, I'm a posterior guy. At some point, I'd like to have some uh, surgeons that do the anterior on so I can pick their brain and have them answer some questions that you might have and even go through some of their tips on retractor placement, you know, and whether or not they do it on table, off table, or what their transition has been over the years. So, Specifically, the two tips that I want to talk to you about um, are things that I don't use frequently. Uh, these are things that come up every so often, but I find a lot of people haven't either heard about them or thought about them. Um, and and one, one is an adductor tenotomy, uh, and one is a lengthening or tenotomy of the iliopsoas tendon. So historically, so for me, you know, this really came into play, I remember, as a, as a resident in a hospital where you know, we really kind of ran the service and we had a patient with uh, dementia and um, contractures. I can't really remember whether or not they also had Parkinson's disease, but, you know, we did a hemi for ephemeral neck fracture. And, you know, at this particular hospital back then, um, you know, the, the typical implant of choice was an Austin Moore. And it's, it's quite, you know, rare to have a dislocation following a hemi. And it's also a poor prognostic f- uh, sign you know, if you have a hemi that dislocates. And we had this patient dislocate a number of times and brought them back to the operating room for close reduction. And and finally, the uh, the chief um, you know, head of ortho kind of came and was like, what's going on? And, you know, said, hey, you know, give me the knife. And we did an adductor tenotomy and dislocation stopped. And it was because this patient had such a severe adductor contracture that it was predisposing them to force the hip out. They would lay in bed and you know, I saw that older, demented sort of position, like knees, hips flexed up and knees touching and rotated off to the side. So it was just sort of poor prognostic sign, which, you know, in my hands today, I would do the releases, um, you know, at the initial index operation and also where a lot of people would talk about doing an anterior in a patient like that if they were more fearful of a posterior dislocation. So for me, this comes into play, again, um, in patients that have contractures, patients that have, you know, significant dementia that then require an operation like this. Uh, But where I also use it in hip fractures, but also in some of my primary total hip replacements for arthritis are a lot of the patients that I take care of with Parkinson's. You know, if you watch them ambulate, you know, they have that classic scissoring gait due to tightness of the adductor and a significant hip flexion contracture, sometimes due to tightness and shortening of the iliopsoas. You know, I'll talk to these patients at the pre-op after examining them, 
and talk about doing these additional procedures. And, you know, the downside of releasing that iliopsoas is they lose some hip flexion strength. But, you know, if they have a significant contracture, which is affecting their gait and posture, and you can release it, you know, partially or fully, and then at the end of the case, do an adductor tenotomy. Um, a lot of these patients, you know, get rid of that scissoring gait. They're able to, you know, improve their their function in addition to the pain relief that they get from the arthritis. So for me, you know, posterior approach and doing the iliopsoas um, release is, is quite simple. You know, it's just a matter of using a cobra or some other similar retractor while the leg is internally rotated. And this is something that usually I do um, towards the end of the case. So, you know, unless I know 100% that I'm going to go in and do this, and what you'll listen to in the other talk is, you know, always if they do have arthritis and anterior osteophytes off the femoral neck, I remove those. If you need to strip the capsule off the anterior neck, I do that. Uh, but then if you examine them and they're still tight, you know, it's not over lengthened. You haven't lengthened the leg by leaving the uh, the brooch proud or having too long of a ball. Um, but it's truly the iliopsoas, and you can feel this as you bring them into extension, then what you can do is dislocate the hip internally, rotate it, drop your retractors underneath there, and just with the bovi, tease off the um, iliopsoas right off of the lesser trochanter, and then, you know, amazingly, they get their extension back. Um, now, the adductor tenotomy, again, is quite simple. Um, it's just a little bit different. So for me, when I do the posterior approach, um, and I usually do this at the end of the case, is that once once we're closed, wound is um, you know closed, dressings are on, position the patient back onto their supine position, and we'll take the uh, pillow. And actually what I do is I take the pillow and I flip it upside down. So the widest part that would typically be at their ankles, I keep at about the level of their knee. And then we just sterilely prep out the groin. You can palpate the, um, the adductor tendon. And I just sterilely prep out the groin and drape it out and have a mayo set up at the end of the case um, just with gloves and a little 15 blade. And I usually have my assistant um, holding the foot and they're just abducting the leg. So they're just putting gentle tension, which puts that adductor tendon on tension and you can feel it quite well. And usually these patients are skinny anyway, so you can see it. And then just insert the blade, um, make a little nick in the skin, you know, turn it 90 degrees, and then you can just nick the tendon um, that's tight, and you know you'll amazingly get another you know five ten degrees of abduction quite simply. And then all I do is I'll dermabond the area and put one of the little padded tegaderms over that area. And especially if they're going to a nursing home or home, it's just hey, leave it in place for like two weeks, and then you know peel it off, and usually should be good. Now the one um, thing and caveat to be aware of, obviously, is you want to put this in the op note. Um, it is a billable event. You also want to kind of add it to the notes because, you know, if someone sees the dressing, they're wondering what it's from, or if the patient's on anticoagulation uh, and their you know, blood's quite thin, they develop a hematoma in the groin. You just want people to be aware that, you know, they had the hip and they had the incision on the side, uh, but they also had this other approach anteriorly. So these are really two um, simple little tips and tricks just to keep in your bag of tricks if you're treating, especially these. Um, these patients that need a hemiarthroplasty or a hip fracture um, that requires a total hip replacement, or again, Parkinson's patients or someone with some gait abnormality that is having a primary arthroplasty for arthritis. And if you notice on their exam um, and in the office and watching their gait, it's been affected by either this significant hip flexion contracture um, or this adductor contracture and scissoring gait, that these are 
procedures that you might explain to them that may be done at the time of surgery based on the findings at the end of the case. And it's going to improve not only uh, their range of motion, um, but in some patients improve their gait, uh, and in some patients reduce their risk of dislocation by removing those potentially deforming forces. So thanks for listening again. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe. And uh, you know, if you have fellow colleagues that are not aware and you think this would benefit them, uh, please share the link with them. And until next time, I'm Adam Rosen. Stay safe. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.